0: Hello, and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. U.S. lawmakers stepping up efforts on a bill to sanction Russia in hopes it'll deter the country from invading Ukraine. Why does one senator say it's not enough, and what does he suggest instead? Are black votes in Alabama being diluted? After the Supreme Court ruling, the plaintiffs warn the court is becoming too politicized. We bring you more from the Congressional Black Caucus on the Supreme Court's ruling over voting districts in the state. Canadian trucker protests have jammed a key border crossing between Canada and the United States. The country's lawmakers voiced concern about the economic toll of the blockades. (music) The Democrat leader in the Senate says lawmakers are making progress on a Russia sanctions bill. They hope it will deter Russia from invading Ukraine. But some lawmakers are concerned it's not enough. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports.
1: Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Tuesday Democrats want to pass a sanctions bill before Russia takes any actions towards Ukraine.
0: The basic
2: view of, of many on our side and of the White House is to pass
3: a full, strong sanctions bill before uh, any invasion.
1: Schumer said they want to make sure there's a bipartisan agreement. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell says he appreciates the effort, but he's skeptical that passing a sanctions bill would work.
4: I don't think Putin will be deterred by any piece of legislation in the United States Senate.
1: On Monday, during a press conference with Germany's new chancellor, President Biden said, "If Russia invades Ukraine, the U.S. will end the Russian gas pipeline that goes through Germany." If,
5: uh, if Russia invades, uh, then uh, there will be uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We we will bring an end to it.
1: McConnell said the chancellor confirmed the news during a dinner Monday. McConnell said that's good news, but suggested they end the pipeline before Russia invades instead of after.
4: Summoning it up, the president has all the authority he needs. He needs to decide the timing. I think it's going to be a serious deterrent if it's executed before the invasion, not after.
1: Republican lawmaker Michael Guest told NTD's Capitol Report Monday the U.S. has known about Russia's troop buildup for months. And he thinks the Biden administration should have been more proactive very early on.
4: We failed to keep our eye on the ball of of what's happening across the globe. Uh, And so now we're trying to play catch up.
1: Meanwhile, the U.S. Army's Cavalry Regiment is preparing to deploy to Romania in the coming days.
4: Together, we will assure our allies, deter our adversaries, and stand ready to defend the NATO alliance.
1: The United States has said it will move about 3,000 service members to Romania, Germany, and Poland in response to Russia's continuing buildup of forces around Ukraine. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: As world leaders work to find a diplomatic solution to Russia's aggression against Ukraine, an international peacemaker is looking for a spiritual solution. The president of the Global Peace Initiative, K.A. Paul, staged a hunger strike and protested outside the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., He claims his strike has helped influence American officials to take action. Paul explains more about his spiritual method and how it makes an impact.
6: See, For the last 40 years, I've traveled the world counseling these dictators, but one thing is important. This is probably the most important hunger strike I began and started praying and immediately I saw the response from the UN gathering to meet, meet the meetings and millions of people around the world fasting and praying it is just shocking them because if russia invades ukraine which is likely to happen unless god intervenes with the fasting and prayer it's over game is over it's not just the fight between russia and ukraine but you know russia is supported by china north korea iran north korea tested more missiles in the last few months than years put together and then the entire NATO, my good friend, NATO Stoltenberg needed prayer. So this is literally, it will drag the rest of the world, not just the Russia versus NATO.
0: China sides with Russia in that it says NATO should not allow new members. What is China's role in Russia's potential invasion of Ukraine? You see, China is the key.
6: That's why Russian president went and met with Chinese president. See, the fight is not anymore between, like it used to be Soviet Union and U.S., It is between China and U.S. I have been warning, I've been to China 27 times. I met with their leaders, so I know China's thinking and China's corruption and China's invasion. China is the master of invasion.
0: What actions have the diplomats in the United States taken based on your hunger strike?
6: Number one, they have called upon the United Nations to meet together, which I've been requesting. Finally, they did it this Monday. Number two, President Biden turned around and sent the troops. Very neat. And number three, they are in more engaged than before. And but I also requested President Biden to call upon all world leaders to fast and pray. There are more things to be done. And President Biden and Russian President Putin needs to talk. Otherwise, this situation is going back to worse. Yesterday, Macron, French President, went there. No results.
0: Hunger strikes have a long history. Mahatma Gandhi is a notable example. According to an Oxford sociologist, the hunger strike of Gandhi and millions of Indians helped remove British rule from India. And now, Paul is saying he's calling on all people around the world to join him in his hunger strike for the sake of Ukraine. If you want to join him, he requests quitting a meal per week or one per day until President Putin removes his troops. The plaintiffs in the Alabama redistricting case say the Supreme Court is becoming too politicized. That's because the Supreme Court allowed Alabama to use newly drawn congressional districts for the midterms. But a lower court found that this weakened black voting power. However, Alabama says it doesn't want to draw maps, primarily based on race. The plaintiffs in the case argued that the Supreme Court's ruling is eroding the Voting Rights Act and that it just goes to show Congress needs to intervene. The conservative-leading Supreme Court put a hold on a lower court ruling. The lower courts ruled Alabama needs to draw new maps to give black voters more leverage in elections. One of the plaintiffs says they need help in some of the rural counties, like Washington and Monroe, and she explains why she wants to vote out Republican Representative Jerry Carl.
1: We just want someone, we want to be able to elect someone who cares about us and not just wanting to go along party lines, because you are elected by the people to serve us, not to, you know, click up with the gang of the Republicans, basically.
0: (laughs) Civil rights groups say Alabama is drawing new maps to concentrate Black voters into one district and diluting Black voting power in other ways. An ACLU attorney is concerned about the timing of the ruling. That January was still treated as uh, too close to the election, that raises timing concerns. And I think that there there is certainly now, for for all of us who practice in this area, uh, this concern that that, um, the Supreme Court may treat things as always too late. The court ruled 5-4 to four on Monday to strike down the lower court's order. Alabama says the district court's order would force the state to draw race-based maps that would be drawn emphasizing race above race-neutral districting criteria. The chair of the Black Congressional Caucus was disappointed with the Supreme Court's ruling.
4: So when we look at what's happened in the courts in striking down Section 2, uh, it hits at the guts of voting rights, redistricting. You can't separate it when we know that Section 2 talks about us not diluting minority representation.
0: The High Court's ruling is a win for Republicans. The Supreme Court is going to review the case in a legal showdown in a few months. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan says he will not run as a GOP challenger to Senator Chris Van Hollen, dashing hopes that the seat could be flipped Republican. Hogan has significant popularity in the otherwise blue state. Some Republicans saw this as an opportunity to flip the Senate seat. The state has not elected a Republican to the Senate in over four decades. Despite Maryland's political landscape, Hogan was elected as governor by a four-point margin in 2014. In 2018, he won a second term with a 12-point lead in voting. Few other state-level Republicans have had such success. Hogan is considered a moderate Republican with centrist political positions. In the past, he often broke with President Trump over immigration issues. Trucker protests in Canada have spread to its border, blocking a critical land crossing that connects to the United States. Canadian lawmakers are concerned about the economic impact of the blockade. Truckers' protests over
4: pandemic restrictions have widened across Canada, halting traffic in both directions at key border links, including the Ambassador Bridge. The structure is the busiest land crossing from the United States to Canada, carrying a quarter of all trade between the two nations. Delays at the bridge Tuesday forced border cargo shipments to reroute, adding five hours to their route. That triggered concerns about the blockade's impact on the economy and supply chains. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tweeted in response that protesters have no right to blockade the economy or others' daily lives, also saying they do have the right to protest. In a recent debate in the parliament, Trudeau confronted questions about his COVID-19 restrictions and mandates.
7: Countries like Ireland, Sweden, Norway, Israel, Czech Republic, the UK, De- Spain, Denmark, they're all removing restrictions and mandates, and they're all countries that have a lower vaccine rate than Canada. Here in Canada, though, we have a Prime Minister who refuses to lead and instead is being divisive.
4: The Prime Minister doubled down on his defence, citing the country's lower infection and death rates.
5: Mr. Speaker, from the beginning of this pandemic, we have followed science, we have had Canadians' backs, we've actually seen uh, a uh, less severe impact on lives, on livelihoods and our economy uh, than many other countries, including the ones that the leader of the opposition named. We will continue to follow the science. We will continue to lean on each other as Canadians as we make it through uh, this pandemic. The Ambassador Bridge
4: remains shut as of today. Though Windsor Police later tweeted an update that the U.S.-bound lanes had reopened. Canadian police also warned of another border crossing closure on Tuesday. This time at Coutts, Alberta. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney on Tuesday called off the province's vaccine passport program, saying the restrictions were dividing the country. Kenney announced a three phase approach to further easing COVID restrictions, starting with the removal of masks for children.
0: Texas Governor Greg Abbott is asking a U.S. district court to block the Pentagon's vaccine requirement for Texas National Guard members. The governor has filed a motion for a preliminary injunction. He argues that President Biden is attempting to undermine his chain of command over the Texas National Guard and that it will put Texans in danger. Abbott has ordered the National Guard under his command not to punish anyone for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. But he says the Pentagon has nevertheless attempted to punish unvaccinated guardsmen by cutting off their pay, barring their participation in drills and threatening to discharge them from the Texas National Guard. Last month, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin wrote letters to Abbott and other Republican governors. Austin said that he has the authority to enforce the mandate for all members of the National Guard. The governor vows to use every legal tool to defend the Texas National Guard members. In cities across the U.S., outdoor dining helped restaurants stay open amid government imposed lockdowns during the pandemic. The structures have pros and cons. And now America's most densely populated city might make them permanent. today's Arian Pasdar has more from Manhattan.
8: Outdoor dining structures like this one helped many restaurants across New York City to survive during the pandemic. And the number of these sheds skyrocketed. The Bronx only had 30 before the city lockdown. Now it's over 650. A lot of people seem to like him and these sheds might be here to stay. When the pandemic started, New York City implemented new rules that made it easier to get a permit for an outdoor dining structure. On Tuesday, the City Council held an online hearing and proposed a bill that would keep current procedures for outdoor dining structures in place.
1: The program not only provided a lifeline to small businesses, it also saved over 100,000 jobs.
8: But there are downsides to outdoor dining.
4: There are legitimate concerns about noise on blocks that mix commercial activity
1: with residences.
4: Many outdoor dining structures are flimsy or sighted haphazardly, and more than a few pose a hazard
5: to safe cycling. But these are fixable flaws.
8: Critics also mentioned an increase in garbage, rats, and people sleeping in the sheds. But the city is confident that solutions will be found that fit for everyone.
3: We will listen to those restaurant owners. We will listen to the community. We will address the concern.
8: So far, it looks like most city council members are in favor of the bill. The mayor said he was also for it. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York.
0: In a community of fewer than 50,000 people in southwestern West Virginia, controversy has ignited a conversation. It centers around whether religious services should be allowed during school hours. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more.
5: Between calculus and European history classes at a West Virginia public high school, 16-year-old Cameron Mays and his classmates were told by their teacher to attend an evangelical Christian revival assembly. The teens were told to give their lives over to Jesus to find purpose and salvation. Mays texted his father while there. I've been to church many times in my life, and it was enough of a video for me to know exactly what this was. Um, And he asked, is this legal? And I'm just like, why are you there? (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's basically, he was sort of confused as to why he was there. According to the U.S. Constitution, the separation of church and state is one of the country's founding basic tenets. Huntington High School senior Max Niebert noted that point following the event.
6: And just to, to see that
5: defamed and ignored in such a blatant way,
0: it's it's disheartening.
5: Niebuhr and other Huntington students are planning to stage a walkout during homeroom period Wednesday to protest the assembly. We would very much like to see some kind of formal uh, disciplinary action
8: taken against the teachers that forced their students to attend.
5: The preacher who led the event also responded to the concerns.
8: Whether it's in a church or in a school or on the street, uh, the vision is to give hope by showing people Jesus and and cultivate a passion for Jesus. Um, And that's, That's the only outcome I have. We're not seeking to build a following or make enemies.
5: Cabell County School spokesperson Jed Flowers said the event was voluntary, organized by the school's chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He said two teachers mistakenly believed the assembly was mandatory and brought their entire class. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Several families whose loved ones died while trying to escape a smoke-filled Bronx apartment building are suing the building owners they allege safety violations led to the wrongful deaths of 17 people, including eight children. The five lawsuits were filed on behalf of the families by attorney Benjamin Crump and the New York law firm Whites & Luxembourg. Crump is a high-profile attorney who handles class-action lawsuits and civil rights cases. Fire officials say a malfunctioning space heater started the blaze on the morning of January 9th. While the fire damaged only a small part of the building, it produced black, caustic smoke that quickly engulfed the complex. Suffocating smoke rose through a stairwell of the 19-story building and killed people as they attempted to flee. The Justice Department announces its largest ever financial seizure and the arrest of a New York couple accused of conspiring to launder billions of dollars in cryptocurrency. The funds were taken during a 2016 hack.
7: That hack resulted in the theft of almost 120,000 Bitcoin, which at the time was worth approximately $71 million. Today, the value of that Bitcoin has grown to over $4.5 billion. The message to criminals is clear. Cryptocurrency is not a safe haven. We can and we will follow the money no matter what form it takes.
0: The husband and wife were arrested in Manhattan on Tuesday. They're accused of using various sophisticated techniques to launder the stolen cryptocurrency and to conceal the transactions. Charges relate to the Bitfinex hack nearly six years ago. Prosecutors had argued defendants should be denied bail, calling them flight risks who still potentially have access to vast sums of money. The couple's attorney told the judge his clients had no intention of fleeing and didn't flee after they became aware of the investigation last year. He also called the charges overblown and said he doesn't think prosecutors will find billions of dollars in laundered money. The mother of a teenager who was accused of killing four students at a Michigan school spoke with her boss earlier that day. According to his testimony on Tuesday, she felt as if she was failing the boy. Prosecutors summoned Andrew Smith, the CEO of a real estate company, to talk about Jennifer Crumbly before and after four students were killed last November. The judge must decide whether there's enough evidence to send James and Jennifer Crumbly to trial on involuntary manslaughter charges. They are accused of making a gun accessible to their son, Ethan Crumbly, and failing to intervene when he showed signs of mental distress. Attorneys for the Crumbly's insist that the couple didn't know that a shooting was in the works and didn't make the gun easy to find at home. Ethan Crumbly is charged as an adult with murder and other crimes as lawyers filed a notice of an insanity defense which will likely freeze his case while experts examine him. Oxford High School, roughly 30 miles north of Detroit, reopened on January 24th, nearly two months after the shooting. A step toward recovery in Boulder, Colorado, The doors of the Table Mesa King Supers will be reopening on Wednesday, nearly a year after a deadly mass shooting. A ceremony will be held to remember the lives that were lost. The store has been closed since March 22, 2021, after a gunman opened fire in the parking lot and inside the store, killing a total of 10 people. The store has been redesigned and fully remodeled. The suspect was found incompetent to proceed in his murder case in early December. He has been transferred to a mental hospital. The University of California has agreed to pay almost $250 million to settle allegations of sexual abuse. Hundreds of women say they were abused by a former UCLA gynecologist. Attorneys in the case represented 203 women who said they were groped or otherwise abused by Dr. James Heaps over his 35-year career. The lawsuit said the university ignored decades of complaints and that they deliberately concealed the abuses. The lawsuit is one of hundreds filed that allege abuse by Heaps. UCLA settled a similar lawsuit last year for $73 million. UCLA began investigating Heaps in 2017. He retired after the school declined to renew his contract. Heaps was also criminally charged last year with 21 counts of sexual offenses involving seven women. He has pleaded not guilty and denied wrongdoing. Falling in love or falling victim. It may be both. The FBI warns the public about romance scams, also known as confidence fraud, and how to avoid it. We hear more from NTD's David Lamb.
3: According to one study, California ranks number one for most targeted states for romance scams. With Valentine's Day coming up, the FBI warns the public about becoming a victim. What better month than February to shed some light on a fraud scheme we commonly refer to as romance scams. Now that meeting people online is commonplace, the FBI says to be aware if the individual seems too perfect or quickly asks to go offline. These occur when a criminal adopts a fake online identity to gain a victim's affection and trust. Then, the scammer uses that illusion of a romantic or close relationship to manipulate and steal from the victim. This also includes the grandparent scheme and any scheme in which the perpetrator preys on the victim's heartstrings. The FBI says to research the person's photo and profile using online searches to see if it's been used elsewhere. Other red flags are if they try to encourage isolation from friends and family. They may also request inappropriate photos or financial info. Might someone you know and love fall prey to a romance scam? You may just save a loved one from emotional pain and financial suffering. In January this year, authorities were seeking two fugitives allegedly running an illegal business tied to romance scams. The DOJ said the fugitives scammed nearly $1.1 million in 2017 from romance scam victims. David Lamb, Entity News, California.
0: Up next, the top 50 philanthropists in the U.S. gave nearly $28 billion to charity in 2021. The biggest donors of the year were billionaires like Bill Gates, Michael Bloomberg, and Mark Zuckerberg. And hundreds of police officers, both seen and unseen, will be on hand at SoFi Stadium for the Super Bowl. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas says authorities are prepared. More on that in just a moment. Chronicle of Philanthropy Magazine has released its annual ranking of the 50 Americans who donated the most to charity in 2021. It's called Philanthropy 50, and topping the list are Bill and Melinda Gates. Here are the details.
4: In total, the donors on the Philanthropy 50 gave nearly $28 billion to charity 2021. The median level of giving was just above $100 million. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates pledged $15 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and donors ended up increasing the amount they gave in those early days. And and that continues to happen largely because their endowments and their wealth have grown during the pandemic. Second on the list was Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor and founder of Bloomberg News. He gave $1.7 billion to the arts, education, the environment and other causes. Third on the list were hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman and his wife, they donated $1.2 billion, primarily to Ackman's Pershing Square Foundation.
5: But if you went into different communities across the country, there's a lot of wealth and people doing things in Cleveland or
9: New Orleans or Atlanta, and they don't necessarily show up on the
5: the U.S. top 50 lists.
4: Next on the list were Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. They donated just over $1 billion to their Chan Zuckerberg Foundation. One of the donors on the list was billionaire Jared Isaacman. He chartered the first civilian spaceflight last year, and the mission raised over two hundred forty million dollars for a children's hospital. Given the platform of the you know first, you know civilian mission to space,
0: um, I felt like we could raise uh, an awful lot of you know funds and awareness for some of the you know real problems we have here on Earth. So people know that we're not ignoring the hardships of today, uh,
4: so we can make progress for tomorrow. Um, and then Saint Jude Children's Research Hospital became the the charitable beneficiary. Nearly 86 percent of the funds contributed by the top 50 donors went to a relatively narrow slice of the charitable sector. Colleges,
0: hospitals, foundations and donor-advised funds. Apple has a new way for its customers to make payments. The tech giant says later this year it will introduce the tap-to-pay feature. To process a payment, merchants just hold an iPhone next to the consumer's iPhone or Apple watch. This new option will also work for contactless credit and debit cards. Tap to Pay will only work for iPhone XS models and those that come afterward. Right now, Apple says about 90% of U.S. retailers accept Apple Pay. Analysts say this is an attempt from Apple to try to compete with other payment services. While there are no credible security threats to Sunday's Super Bowl, a beefed-up law enforcement team will be present at the game. Officials have asked fans to keep an eye out for any suspicious activity. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports.
5: Hundreds of police officers, both seen and unseen, will be on hand at SoFi Stadium for the Super Bowl. The game has once again been designated a level one special event assessment rating by the Department of Homeland Security. As the Chief of uh, uh, Los Angeles Police Department Chief Moore articulated, it it
2: is our responsibility Uh, and we are dedicated to ensuring that no threat materializes.
5: Officials said patrons should plan how they will get to and from the stadium, leave their drones at home, and report any suspicious activity, including threats they see online.
9: The biggest challenge here really is just the enormity of this event, Um, and that goes along with the enormity of the stadium and the stadium campus. It is absolutely beautiful. I think everybody will be and all when they look at the build out and some of the the beauty that's been put onto the campus. But from a security perspective, it just adds another
7: complexity.
5: DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said there are a variety of potential threats, ranging from human trafficking to counterfeiting and physical attacks, but said the federal, state, and local teams are prepared. Quite frankly, uh, with the range of expertise uh, that we bring to bear, we we have planned and prepared uh, for all uh, different types of attacks that could occur. Despite the boosted security, fans in Los Angeles are set to party hard ahead of Sunday's Super Bowl. The occasion boasts its biggest slate of events since the pandemic hit nearly two years ago, and it's set to be a star studded two night celebration in West Hollywood, featuring Justin Bieber on Friday and special guest Drake on Saturday.
2: I have not seen LA with this type of buzz probably in my history. I'd imagine like the 84 Olympics had stuff like this, you know? Um, But this is, what, the first time in 30 years it's been back in L.A. It's a revolutionary, it's a revolutionary stadium. Um, I kind of look at SoFi as our home.
5: A vaccine card or negative COVID-19 test is required. That's to enter the invite-only party at the Pacific Design Center. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And Super Bowl Sunday is also highly anticipated for another reason. There is a show featuring two groups of adorable fluffy players, Team Ruff and Team Fluff. The cuteness, that is the Puppy Bowl, is returning for its 18th year on Sunday. This year's show will include 103 puppy players, the largest number of entries ever. And on top of that, nine pairs of puppy siblings and over 30 cat competitors. 51 shelters from 23 different states are participating. Dogs representing Team Ruff and Team Fluff will wear blue or orange bandanas respectively. The game will hand out a most valuable puppy award by the end while the producers aim to entertain their main goal is to raise awareness of adopting pets from shelters and rescues at the end of each break the program will showcase the puppies currently available for adoption the three-hour special will start at 2 p.m eastern standard time and air on u.s network animal planet with live streaming available on discovery plus there will be a pre-game show of interviews with coaches and players and a look at the pups warming up at 1 p.m. And in figure skating, the Russian athletes who won the team event at the Beijing Olympics have still not received their gold medals. Earlier, the International Olympic Committee said legal consultations had forced the postponement of the medals ceremony, but they said it could go on eventually. Sports officials have not yet released the full details, but an Olympic Committee spokesman says there are legal implications. Russian athletes are competing in Beijing as representatives of the Russian Olympic Committee. They are still under previous doping sanctions and can't use their country's official name or flag. The Kremlin says it will wait for official statements before commenting. Controversies are plaguing speed skating events at the Olympics. A Chinese speed skater is being accused of deliberately tripping an opponent in a finals race while another Chinese skater appears to push down a rival right before the finish line. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more on the story.
10: Controversy is erupting over Team China, with one of its Olympic speed skaters accused of tripping a fellow competitor mid-race. During the last lap, speed skater Fan Keqing was spotted sliding a race marker under the foot of Canadian opponent Allison Charles, causing her to fall. It happened during the quarterfinal for women's 500-meter speed skating. Footage of the incident is circulating online. Canadian news outlet Daily Hive questioned whether the act was on purpose. One social media user accused Fan of tripping Charles on purpose. In a comment online, they point out that Fan appears to have reached out of her way for the marker as she put her arm over the leg of another competitor. That other competitor was Florence Brunel. As it turns out, judges disqualified Brunel for tripping Charles instead of Fan. Charles was allowed to advance to the semifinal despite the fall, as judges determined the spill wasn't her fault, and because she had been in second place beforehand. China's Fan finished in third place and didn't advance to the next round. That's not the only incident sparking concern with Team China speed skaters. Another issue came up during the men's 1,000-meter short track competition. That's when a Chinese speed skater appeared to push his opponent, causing him to fall right before the finish line. China's Zhen Zhiwei and Hungary's Liu Xiaoling Sander were neck and neck in the last leg of the race. Footage from the contest shows Zhen grabbing Liu's shoulder. The Hungarian fell a moment later. Leo still crossed the finish line before Zhen, but in the end, Zhen was awarded the gold medal. After reviewing the incident, judges decided to disqualify Leo. They slapped the Hungarian with two race lane violations. One was an earlier lane change that made illegal contact with an opponent, and another for extending his hand right before Zhen grabbed him. No penalties were given to Zhen. The judge's decision met with controversy online. Social media users found it odd that China has been granted a string of favorable calls. During a 1,000-meter semifinals race, China came out on top because judges decided to disqualify a skater. While China's mixed speed skating relay team also won gold after disqualification calls by judges. Initially, the Chinese team finished last in its semifinal, but was able to advance to the finals after both the United States and Russia were disqualified. Just ahead,
0: another Belarusian athlete flees the country. A 17-year-old cross-country skier was barred from competition over the family's political views. Truffle hunting makes it onto UNESCO's intangible cultural heritage of humanity list. And an Italian truffle hunter explains the importance of his dogs to the process. Find out more after the short break. In Belarus, a cross-country skier has been banned from competing. The country's sports officials accused her of supporting the political opposition. Her family had to escape for fear of a backlash from authorities.
3: Daria has been stripped of her rights to do sports or take part in competitions. I don't see the possibility of her continuing her career in Belarus. It happened due to such made up reasons.
4: Daria Dolitovich was one of the most promising junior cross-country skiers in Belarus. Just before the Winter Olympics, the Belarusian Ski Association deactivated her FIS code, effectively banning her from participating in competitions. The 17-year-old fled with her family to Poland, where she hopes to continue her training.
1: I'm upset, of course. It would have been simpler to stay a few months and finish middle school. Here, I don't know how to do it. We're only working on it.
4: Her father said Daria was targeted because of the family's political views. The father, a former skier, participated in protests against Belarusian leader Alexander Lukashenko. Facing pressure from authorities, he had to quit his job at a national training
3: center. We could be accused of staging a demonstration and shouting slogans, long live Belarus, then just be sent to prison.
4: The regime's crackdown on its own athletes has drawn international condemnation. The Belarus national team is still under scrutiny after a sprinter defected from last year's Tokyo Olympics. Daria was supposed to graduate from high school this year. It's unclear how she will continue her studies in Poland.
0: If you're in the European Union, you could soon lose access to Facebook or Instagram. Meta warned about it recently. NTD's Evelyn Lee asks why Meta would even think about exiting such a big market. People
7: based in Europe might lose access to Facebook and Instagram. Meta said it would pull these platforms out of the EU if it can't transfer user data back to the US. But is that really enough reason to give up such a big chunk of its market? Daniel Castro is the vice president at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. He says Facebook needs to transfer data for its basic services, like connecting friends in different parts of the world.
0: Maybe one in the United States and one in Germany and they wanna you know, comment on each other's pages or, or send messages to each other on WhatsApp or like another's post on Instagram, this is data that's still being transferred transatlantically.
7: But what do these platforms know about you?
8: Social media platforms know
4: about the user's likes, dislikes, um, the type of content they're interested in. Most of the time they also know when the person is vulnerable, when it's feeling depressed or happy.
7: The EU's data protection law called GDPR was put into place in 2018, but many are still not sure what it means exactly. The EU struck down another privacy pact that regulated intercontinental data transfers and regulators have been stuck since. But besides big tech, this affects many more businesses.
9: Um, Let's say there's a company headquartered in Chicago and they're trying to um, you know, hire someone who's based in Paris, they can't do that because they can't send the um, HR information back to their headquarters in Chicago.
7: And many businesses are trying to comply but aren't able to because of the way regulators interpret the law. Just recently, an Austrian court ruled that the use of Google Analytics was illegal. So NetDoctor, a website that works like millions of others, as well as the European Parliament's COVID-19 testing website, breached GDPR.
0: You know, you could say that every business is in compliance and no business is in compliance because it really depends on what the regulators say.
5: The existing statutes make it almost impossible for them to adhere to the law by letter. But whether or not the regulators come down on them um, remains to be seen.
7: Kevin Curran is a leader of the Cybersecurity and Web Technologies Research Group at Ulster University and co-founder of an encryption service. He says with huge fines in case of GDPR breaches, Meta is looking at its bottom line. Nevertheless, Meta pulling out of Europe seems unlikely to him.
5: Um, I, I just can't see Meta pulling out. It would, it would literally half their market size overnight as such. So
7: He says it's more likely about politics. Meta owns some of the most used social media platforms in the world.
0: And Curran says lawmakers are wary of that. Evelyn Lee, entity News. This year's Berlin Film Festival begins on Thursday. Live screenings have resumed following last year's online event, though strict COVID-19 restrictions remain in place. Red carpet is being rolled out for the festival, also known as Berlin Alley. Filmmakers and actors will travel to Berlin to present their projects in person this year. The showcase will culminate in the awarding of the Golden and Silver Bears on February 16th. 18 films will be up for the Golden Bear for Best Picture, the theme of love dominates the main competition this year. This marks a change in mood as the Berlin Alley has been considered the most political of the major festivals since its inception in 1951. Due to pandemic safety concerns, the number of seats in the festival is reduced by 50%. The audience must be vaccinated or have just recovered from an infection. A face mask and proof of a valid negative test are also required. Truffle hunting takes a lot of patience, training, and a little luck. Now the skill has made it onto UNESCO's Intangible Cultural Heritage of Humanities list. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more.
5: Eight years after the initial application, Italian truffle hunting made it onto the UNESCO list of World's Intangible Cultural Heritage in December 2021. Here at the Truffle Dog University in the small town of Rodi, truffle hunting is all about the canine.
2: Today, the dog takes a truffle out here, tomorrow in another spot. He slowly creates a sort of Google Maps for himself. He memorizes the spots and then knows where to look for them the following time.
5: This year, the truffle hunting season has not been very fruitful. But that's not the dog's fault.
2: What's important is to know the area. And even if you look for two hours and you can't find anything, that doesn't mean the dog isn't good. It's possible there aren't any. It's something that takes a lot of patience. It's like training the dog. He won't be all ready to go after you explain it to him. It's a game that you are playing with him season after season. But beyond the
5: value of the product, Monchiero says it's mostly about the bond between him and his dogs, Lady and Vicky.
2: I look at Lady or Vicky and ask them if it's there, and they start digging with such enthusiasm and they jump on you. I always say it's like when you're married, husband and wife. After many years, you don't have to say anything. You just know what the person is saying by looking into their eyes, and with them, it's the same. You build a beautiful relationship.
5: Truffles rely on certain trees, including oak, white poplar, lime, and willow but the decreasing presence of these plants has contributed to a truffle decline.
2: We are understanding more and more that some big issues that are linked to the weather, the climate, the safeguard of the plants and truffle trees, their upkeep, are all things that need collective actions.
5: The white truffle hunting season will end on January 31, 2022. Truffle hunters will then wait until the spring to clean the woods and plant more trees, as they hope for a more fruitful season in September 2022. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A large-scale census of Amur Tigers is underway in Russia. Teams are counting the big cats across all their habitat areas in Russia's Far East territories. Let's take a look.
9: Around 800 tiger researchers have simultaneously entered Russia's taiga forest, equipped with rulers, GPS navigators, and maps. Their task is counting mere tigers by searching for fresh tiger footprints in the snow. Our task is to go through the previously planned routes and accordingly find the footprints
4: of the tiger. We were lucky. There is already a second footprint of a tiger on our route. Now we will measure it. According to the measurements that we carried out, this is a young male, never seen before in this
9: area." Footprints are the main method for counting tigers. The size of the paw footprint is measured in centimeters. Each tiger usually has a unique size, so finding five different size footprints means five individual tigers are living in the area. Together with the footprint size, a lot of other data is entered into a single electronic database and analyzed.
4: This census is necessary to understand what state of the population of the rare Red Book species we have on the territory of the Russian Federation. Because in 2010, the Russian Federation committed itself to increasing the population of the Amur tiger to 700 individuals. Now we are looking at this interim result.
9: The census is usually done once in a decade. The last one was in 2015, and researchers counted around 540 Amur tigers in the region. Right now, researchers say the trend looks positive.
8: According
4: to the annual monitoring, which has been carried out for eight years, there has been a tendency for the growth of the Amur tiger precisely on these monitoring sites, which allows us to judge that nothing threatens the state of the tiger population. On the contrary, there is an increase in numbers.
9: The results of the census are expected by the end of the spring and will be presented and discussed at the Tiger Convention Forum in September. The Amir tiger is classed as endangered on the red list of threatened species by the International Union for Conservation of Nature.
0: It's only the greatest national day of story ever. February 9th is National Pizza Day. Whether it's thin crust, Chicago-style, deep dish, or anything in between, pizza is an American favorite. For centuries, pizza was primarily a dish enjoyed in Italy. In the early 20th century, the first American-style pizza shops popped up in New York and New Jersey selling what was called tomato pies. But pizza truly became part of American culture after World War II, as U.S. soldiers stationed in Italy developed quite a taste for it. So just how popular is pizza? According to the National Association of Pizza Operators, about three billion pizzas are sold in the U.S. each year, and the American pizza community says there are 34 million different ways to order a pie depending on size, cheese, crust, sauce, and toppings. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.